Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com, and you are listening to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. I'm joined, as usual, by my regular guest, Matthew Collar, and today we're not going to start with NFL Draft. We're going to jump right into some very fascinating young NFL quarterbacks. we got to start with Baker Mayfield. I mean, losing to the 1-13 Jets in very Cleveland Browns fashion uh, I feel for those Browns fans because they they could have wrapped up a playoff spot in Week 16. Now they have to beat the Steelers uh, in Week 17. They really haven't been able to get over that hump. Um, we're just going to go into a long discussion about him, what we could have learned from him coming out of Oklahoma, and some other quarterbacks that were in similar situations in college uh, that have had kind of similar or worse pro careers early on. Uh, so, Matt, what do you – generally think of Baker Mayfield and a two-part question what do you think the Browns should do with him with that fifth-year option coming up after this season well first um, I believe the last time the Browns won 10 games they also missed the playoffs so I am so sorry Browns fans if that ends up happening because I mean Eric Anderson like they've got to be looking over at the NFC East going, why couldn't that ever be us? The one year that we're good, the Ravens are also good, the Steelers are also good, and you know the AFC in general is just too strong. And uh, there's probably a side point in, in terms of maybe just allowing the best 14 teams into the playoffs, but that's another discussion. Yeah. My take on, on Baker Mayfield is this, that there are a bunch of quarterbacks in the NFL that fall kind of under the same umbrella of if you do the right things with them, if you run play action systems, if you run run first systems, that they can operate those and they have the arm strength and the talent to create a lot of big plays downfield, to find open receivers off of play actions and running Kevin Stefanski or Shanahan or Kubiak style systems or McVay style systems, but ultimately where it usually breaks down for those quarterbacks is when everything rests on their shoulders. And we've seen this from Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. We've seen it in Super Bowls from Jared Goff and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo where, and I think Garoppolo is the most talented of the group, but you still saw that, Hey, it's on your shoulders to close out this game. And he was unable to do it in the Super Bowl. And uh, certainly getting to the Super Bowl would be fantastic. And it's hard to call a quarterback back a bust who, you know, could um, have their team with 10 wins and get their teams deep in the playoffs and things like that. But I do think that uh, there are limitations to Baker Mayfield's game that show up when things get a little hairy. And that goes for kind of all of those quarterbacks. And he's under that same category. And And the question for me is, do you really want to pay someone $30 million on your cap when usually those types of quarterbacks need everything going perfectly around them to succeed? Yeah, I think that's spot on with him. But before I get into kind of how I view Baker Mayfield, this discussion, I mean, there was a lot of crazy games in week 16. uh, But I just figured watching the game Sunday, uh, like trying to think of podcast ideas, I was like, I, I have to talk about Baker first. Because when the score was getting a little bit out of hand against the Jets, which is just embarrassing in its own right, they're one in thirteen, everything, uh, just how awful they played this season. They still have Adam Gates roaming the sidelines. I sent out a tweet, just like, okay, Baker, like let's see what you have. You're down twenty to three, or maybe twenty to ten at that point in the second half. And then my Twitter mentions just were set ablaze by Browns fans, citing the receivers were out, which I get. 
and that a couple other tackles also were placed on the COVID list. Uh, they were close contacts to a linebacker or whatever it was. And I totally understand it. It was not a perfect situation. But then when you factor in, and I didn't get, like, I'm not a big Twitter argument person where I'm going back and forth for a thread of 15 tweets with some random guy or even another media member. Uh, but I sent out a few of them and just said, look, this is the former number one overall pick in the draft who's now in his third season, set the rookie record for touchdown passes uh, in 2018, had it down 2019. You're playing the 1-13 and 13 Jets that have been a laughingstock of the NFL uh, for almost his entire season. And then how about the fact that that was such a critical game for the Browns? And if you were to map out the schedule for Cleveland, like you mentioned, the last time – 2007, I believe, with Derek Anderson and Braylon Edwards. They go 10-6, and six, miss the playoffs. For Browns fans, all right, we need a win. Who can we play? It's the Jets. So it was funny to me and, and fascinating, really, about the perception uh, of someone like Baker Mayfield that was this very illustrious, hyperproductive quarterback in college that went number one overall, that so many excuses get made for him, even in a game against the Jets that meant the world to that team to break the longest playoff drought in the NFL. And I went back and rewatched that game. There were 11 times that Baker Mayfield threw a pass that was broken up by a defender. And you could say, you know, that's because the receivers weren't getting open, but 11 pass breakups. Matt, do you remember a game that a team had 11 pass breakups in one game? I don't. I don't. If, 11 uh, pass if breakups. I counted them. Good, yeah. 11. 11 pass breakups. Four sacks, two of which he fumbled on. There was a throw in the first quarter to Harrison Bryant in the red zone on third and 15. It was wide open. He was a fourth-round pick. He's not a practice squad guy. Wide of the target, incomplete. When they were driving late in the end of the first half, uh, wide open wide receiver, like down the seam, a little bit outside the hash marks. The ball is like two yards underthrown. And then later in the game on a double move, I think it was one of their last drives in the game, uh, Baker Mayfield just airmailed it over Marvin Hall's head, uh, who was open, that they would have been closer, uh, you know, I think it was on the other side of the 50 for the Jets. So those type of plays, the inconsistency moving around the pocket, I know he can make uh, some plays when he is rolling right or rolling left when it's designed, and you do see some ad-libbing, uh, but his pocket presence I don't think has gotten any better. It's probably gotten worse, and I guess – for me, generally speaking, I would just like to see more from, again, a number one overall pick in that situation against that team. And I think that, you know, some of the um, excuses are explanations and they're valid for that game. I mean, yeah. when we talk about pass breakups, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, probably there was a lack of separation from receivers when something like that happens and all their receivers were out. So that was a little bit of a problem. But this is also a team that is in the hunt for the number one or number two overall pick that you're playing with the season on the line. And if you can't rest everything on that player's shoulder, then you really need to think about whether you're going to pay them or not. I, I think that Baker Mayfield is a very good NFL quarterback, but is he special in the way that you want to spend so much money? One of the issues with quarterbacks is it's either a rookie contract, you're a backup, or here's $30 million in cap space. There's no sliding scale, which is odd mm-hmm. because every other position works that way. If you're the 20th best tackle in the NFL, you don't get paid like the number one tackle 
tackle in the NFL. But if you're the 14th best quarterback, you get paid like the top three quarterbacks. It's just an odd, I don't know, like just a thing that's worked out very weird over the last number of years. Something that sticks out to me about this situation, though, being down in the game, putting it on his shoulders. This year, when running play action, this is from Pro Football Focus, Baker Mayfield is the fourth best quarterback in rating in the NFL, 120.6 rating when running play action. When not running play action, he is 19th. And I think that that kind of tells the story. I mean, we saw this from Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak um, last year with Kirk Cousins, and he's better without play action than Baker Mayfield is. And I, I think he's a better quarterback than Mayfield is. But when you don't have, like you said, the pocket presence, the ability to hit tight window throws, the ability to make plays with your legs, which you know I, I think we see more and more quarterbacks do, then you have to wonder, is this a guy that I want to invest that much in? It's certainly a guy you can win in a single year with or a guy you'd be happy on a rookie contract with. But we even see the Rams and their limitations. When you pay that guy, then you can't afford to keep the offensive line around him. And I think if you're going to be that play-action guy and that's your main thing and you don't have mobility, you really have to have a great offensive line to succeed and go deep in the playoffs. And if you need a great defense, a great running game, a great offensive line, all to succeed, well, then the formula doesn't really add up. So it's not necessarily ever to say, wow, Baker, he's a bust. He's not any good. I think he's pretty good, but look at their team. They've got a lot working around him. And my question would be, let's use it, uh, the Marcus Mariota test. Like, could Marcus Mariota have won 10 games with this system, with this setup. In 2017, Mariota was the top play-action quarterback in the NFL. Like, the answer is probably yes. And that just means to me that it's not a guy you should pay. But we know that NFL teams, when their number one overall pick has success, they're never going to say, see you later, pal, hit the road. I mean, they invested way too much in that player that they're going to stick with him. They're going to want to be right. And then you risk getting into the golf zone, the Wentz zone, where you just kind of keep going with the guy, even if it's clear that it was a supporting cast that was really building him up. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to obviously bring in the financials because, like I said earlier, the Browns have to make a decision after this year that are they going to pick up Baker Mayfield's fifth-year option. If I was running the Browns, I wouldn't pick it up. You still have that final year of his contract next year and just let that be a a normal contract year for him. If he somehow in year four, maybe it's, you know, his second year in this system, I don't obviously think uh, Kevin Stefanski is going anywhere. They have a good line uh, that if Baker Mayfield takes a huge leap, then you give him his 30, $40 million, whatever the going rate is. Like you said, it's, it's either $40 million now or you're on a different team as a backup. There's no middle ground. Uh, but I would not give him that fifth-year option. I wouldn't say let's you know see two more years of him. I would say I want to see what he's going to do in 2021, maybe even halfway through, and, and then make a decision. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up Kirk Cousins because just because you're a Vikings reporter, I want to get the Vikings into almost every podcast if we can. <laughs> you brought up Kirk Cousins. And I looked up Kirk Cousins' stats last year with Kevin Stefanski as his offensive coordinator. And I think at this point, the job that Stefanski did in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins and what he's done statistically with Baker Mayfield this year, the Browns winning 10 games already, um, he's a pretty good coach. Like He's a good play designer, play caller, although 
he did have Baker Mayfield throw 53 times against the Jets when they had no receivers, but that was just one game. Kirk Cousins had a 69.1 completion percentage last year. Baker's 62.7. Yeah, there's drops here and there, but that's a pretty sizable difference. 8.1 yards per attempt for Kirk, 7.3 this year for Baker Mayfield. The touchdowns and interceptions were pretty close, 26 and 6 and 25 and 8. The rates were pretty similar. Kirk Cousins actually took more sacks or, or had a higher sack rate, 5.9% to Baker's 4.6. But like you mentioned, and that all of us pretty much know at this point, the Browns have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. So someone that we always talk about on this podcast is this like mid, like higher end but middle of the road quarterback that needs a perfect environment around him, Kirk Cousins. In terms of efficiency, those things that you want to see from in that system, in that type of system, from that type of quarterback, completion percentage, seven percentage points higher. Yards per attempt, almost a full yard better than Baker Mayfield this season. And that's where I, I think you're kind of getting into that, like you've mentioned, are the Vikings like ecstatic that they gave Kirk Cousins this gigantic contract that they've had to, you know, they're really their defense has been decimated and they haven't been able to pay some people because they have this huge lump of a contract sitting there with Kirk Cousins. I, I agree with you. I don't think Baker Mayfield's a bust, a terrible quarterback. Um, coming out of the draft, I thought, and tell me what you think about this, I thought he was Case Keenum with a stronger arm, and that's still how I view him. And in, ironically, Case Keenum has, in 2017, the great season under Kevin Stefanski, that was pretty similar to what Baker Mayfield has done this season. I just don't think, we talked about it on a previous podcast, that the Browns should sell themselves short and say, hey, we, we have someone that's that's good that can run this system. Aim higher. Aim for to be an, to have an elite quarterback. I think so many times we see these teams pick a quarterback, whether it be number one overall or somewhere in the first round, and are just like happy with going 9-7 and seven or 10-6 and six because – they're a franchise that hasn't been to the playoffs in a while. You need to aim higher than that. So that's kind of where I'm at on Baker Mayfield. No, this, the situation was not great with the Jets. Um, but one last thing that I want to say on this. His games with a 100 quarterback rating or better this year, two of them came against the Cincinnati Bengals. Dallas, Washington early on, and uh, Chase Young got hurt early in that game. Jacksonville Jaguars, Tennessee Titans, who can't cover anybody, New York Giants. So besides Washington, that, that has turned out to have a pretty strong defense this year, those are all like bottom third of the league defenses. And that was the one red flag after that sensational rookie season from Baker that down the stretch when they won a bunch of games and he was thrown for over 300 yards, like they played like a banged up uh, Denver secondary, a bunch of bottom of the barrel secondaries and teams uh and I remember listening to a lot of podcasts from like out of Cleveland because they they traded for Beckham that offseason and that was the one red flag like everyone was on the Browns bandwagon but it was like well a lot of Baker what he did that was so good late in that rookie year in 2018 was against like bad defenses so I think obviously week 17 is huge not only for the Browns but for Baker Mayfield himself the Steelers' defense has been a little more susceptible of late. I want to see what he does, and he had two stinkers earlier in the year against the Ravens, uh, and the Steelers kind of redeemed himself in that Monday night game against the Ravens. I want to see him have a good performance to kind of prove me wrong a little bit that he can elevate and he can take over a game 
against a quality opponent. I just really haven't seen him do that on a consistent basis yet. So Baker Mayfield's fascinating. I'm just not completely sold on him as as someone. I don't think you are either, that the Browns should invest in long-term. You'd be amazed how all the things that you just said apply to Kirk Cousins too. And in my mind, yeah, exactly. In my mind, Cousins is better. And think about, there's two more quick points I want to make and we can move on to our next uh, subject. But uh, the Vikings with Kirk Cousins are 27th in pass attempts. The Browns are 28th. If you're going to be wow. 28th in pass attempts, do not pay a quarterback $30 million. I think Agreed. it's that simple. If if you're going to run an offense that works to protect the quarterback from ever having to really put it on his shoulders, to play from ahead, to use your running backs, to use your offensive line, to enhance your running game. Those guys will have to get paid eventually um, on the offensive line. So if you start losing, think about the Rams, losing Roger Saffold, um, and you think, well, whatever, it's just a guard. But not whatever, it's just a guard when you have athletic limitations to Baker. My two concerns with Baker when he came out were, one, his personality. Um, It doesn't always work to go plant the flag at the other team's logo when you're quarterback. How's he going to handle adversity? And I think he had some problems along the way. Um, But he's been playing from ahead this year so now can he handle some adversity in week 17 but the athletic limitations were really the biggest thing I mean good arm strong arm for sure but when you are immediately pressured how are you going to deal with it and you know you've if you're not Tom Brady with getting through your reads which almost nobody is or Drew Brees how are you going to deal with it athletically? And that's a problem for a lot of quarterbacks um, who are even better or we consider better. And think about, too, when you're paying guys, like Matt Stafford got paid. I know he plays for a poor organization, but it's been hard on them. Russell Wilson got paid. He's way better than these guys were talking about, and he hasn't been back to the Super Bowl uh, after getting paid. So if you're going to do it, I think that you should um, do it in a situation where your guy is in 28th in attempts. Anyway. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, one last thing that I want to say yeah, on that. I think that could be like if the Browns decline his fifth year option, they could just present Baker's agent <laughs> right. with that and say, right. We're twenty eighth in pass attempts. Why are we gonna pay like you're not that much more valuable to this team than Nick Chubb and the offensive line and Kareem Hunt, really? I mean, it seems crazy to say that in today's NFL. One last thing too, just on the the strengths and weaknesses of Baker. Coming out of Oklahoma, just kind of segues into our next point, he was kind of touted as this hyper-accurate quarterback that could fit the ball into every single tight window, short, intermediate, down the field. And he did that at Oklahoma, and I think he still doesn't throw you know, wildly inaccurate every game, but would you list or label Baker Mayfield as one of the more pinpoint accurate quarterbacks in the NFL? I wouldn't, after watching him over three seasons, so... That was supposed to be his his strength, not his accuracy or not his athleticism, not any of the ad living, but just he's just going to dice every defense from the pocket, and that's just not really the quarterback that he's been, even in this Kevin Stefanski system. That's really quarterback friendly. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about yeah. the statistics and quarterbacks because we have some insane statistical quarterbacks coming out in this draft here. And in recent years, what we've seen as uh, we're recording this on a day where Dwayne Haskins got cut by football team uh, or the sharks, I think I'm calling him this year. So, um, (laughs) but uh, you know, we see Dwayne Haskins come out and he's immediately in over his head and he shows a couple of flashes last year, but then this year falls apart pretty quickly. He's benched. He's cut, acts like a fool off the field and so forth. And it kind of, 
of draws us back to, wow, what put this guy on the map was his insane statistics. It was like 50 touchdowns and all these yards and everything else. And I think it's getting harder and harder to parse out guys, uh, whether it's talent or whether it's supporting cast. And I know that you like to call it their bubble, where you can be sort of insulated as a quarterback in some of these systems and with some of these teams and have a lot of success. I I think that that does make the process harder and you have to watch closer when you're studying these guys for what are the translatable skills. And I'm sure I'll say this a bunch of times, but I, the character part is something that's just hard to know. I mean, how do you know that someone's going to come out and not take this seriously? To me, it's not taking it seriously. If you're going to a strip club and you're putting your coach who dealt with cancer at risk and your, and your teammates, to me, you're a selfish person that doesn't care about your job. And that's why you got cut. It's not because you couldn't play or you didn't have talent or they thought your arm wasn't good enough or something. It's because you were a selfish person who doesn't care. That's why Jamarcus Russell never got back in the league because he didn't care. And so um, you can't have that as a franchise quarterback. These franchises are worth billions of dollars. You can't be putting everything on the shoulders of somebody who's going to be reckless. And uh, you know, we saw that with Johnny Manziel as well. That's something that I don't think um, you can figure out in a combine interview over you know 15 minutes on the whiteboard with a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, their coaches in college are often going to tell you that guys are great. Sure they are. And I mean, what what adversity did Dwayne Haskins go through in college that we would have said, oh, well, you know what? Like Jalen Hurts had to go through a lot. And so you could say, well, all right, he went through a lot of adversity in college and made his way through it. But, you know, some guys just don't. And then it, it's very hard to say how they're going to deal with it in the NFL because you absolutely will deal with adversity no matter what team you land on. Yeah, I think that's a perfect point uh, like that you finished with there about adversity, that it's funny – to to your um, initial point that these quarterbacks have these ridiculous stats today, like Dwayne Haskins, the, uh, two of the big names in this quarterback draft class beyond Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, like their yards per attempt, like they're 11, 12, 13 yards per attempt. They're well over 70% completion uh, that it's very hard, like you said, to – watch film even if you're not you know watching just the highlights on YouTube you're watching a game and you just see Dwayne Haskins completion completion 20 yard gain touchdown and parse out or I like to say distill out what that quarterback actually had to do on that series on that throw um, that really looking at it with uh, from Dwayne Haskins to Baker Mayfield to maybe even Kyler Murray, who statistically is having a good year with the Cardinals, but he's another one. I don't think anyone in that Cardinals organization should be jumping up and down with joy that this former number one overall pick has, you know, 69% completion, 4,000 yards. I got some Cardinals fans saying that in my mentions the other day, but in these big games, he's fallen flat. Um, that there's situations, they're not having to deal with any type of it like adversity off the field or in specific games. So it's funny that I always think back to this when I'm thinking of this uh, kind of bubble effect that I call it that the 2011 draft class, that was the one with like Blaine Gabber, Jake Locker, Christian Ponder. I remember talking to uh, my best friend's uncle, who's like this gigantic bills fan. Like, and I actually call him uncle Mike. And I remember we were talking about the 2011 draft class, and he's like, I don't like Jake Locker because everything at Washington, they 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 lose all the time. 
I don't want a quarterback to come from a losing program. And like back then, 10 years ago, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You want a quarterback that's won a lot of games, that's played in big games, that's undefeated in college, all that. But now I actually view it the other way. Like I want a quarterback who hasn't had a bunch of first rounders playing around him, that his offensive line really wasn't so good or his head coach maybe had to play under two different head coaches or two different offensive coordinators and maybe didn't win every game and wasn't in this bubble at an Ohio State, at a Clemson, uh, at an Alabama. And I think you can kind of segue this into Tua Tungavailoa's had a pretty disappointing rookie season. I mean, he hasn't didn't play right away, but yards per attempt, super low. And then meanwhile, Justin Herbert threw to a bunch of random guys at, at Oregon. They wanted to run the football all the time last year. And I think he had some adversity that he wasn't able to throw to wide open targets his entire career at Oregon. Tua had four future first round picks at wide receiver at his disposal. So I think we can take from these quarterbacks. A lot of these guys went super early in the draft, like number one overall, top five picks, and project forward to Mac Jones, who's getting a lot of hype. Who uh, Kyle Trask, same thing, that there's multiple first and second round picks at receiver, at tight end, on those offensive lines. I'm not going to say that anyone that puts up great stats or has quality teammates, I mean, they can't control who they have on their team. I'm going to erase them from my draft board or say they should go in the third round. But there are so many kind of cautionary tales of late um, of either quarterbacks that are good, like Baker, but just haven't lived up to the hype, or like flat-out busts, mm-hmm. like Dwayne Haskins. I, I do think off the field with him is is, is – kind of floating into that Jamarcus Russell, uh, Johnny Manziel realm where he, he really doesn't understand how serious he has to take his job as a starting quarterback in the NFL. But in terms of just being a guy watching the film, uh, you could tell for a lot of those quarterbacks, that was my knock on Baker, my knock on Kyler and Dwayne Haskins. Like their situation is never going to be this good in the NFL as it was in college with five-star players that are better than everyone they're up against every single week. So I think that is what we need to think about and remember when Kyle Trask wins the Heisman or Mac Jones wins the Heisman and he, you know, eclipses previous quarterbacks that were super productive. I can't really think, maybe outside of Deshaun Watson, a quarterback that went in the first round that had a lot of talent around him that has gone on to be a successful NFL quarterback early in his career. I suppose you could um, use a bunch of different quarterbacks through the years for this example, but, you know, Tim Tebow might be one where, what a winner, what a leader, and he's like throwing pop passes to Percy Harvin or something, right? I mean, you know, you're right. A lot of these guys who play at the major programs end up now having um, very friendly systems that do jack up their statistics. And, you know, I, I struggle with this because I love stats. I love statistical analysis. And yet I don't really know how to deal with this problem because I also don't want to say you deserve to be penalized because you had a good team. Exactly. I mean, you think about Joe Burrow for this, and, you know, he had his ups and downs in his first year, but showed a lot of potential, I think, to be a very good quarterback in his first year before getting injured. And, my gosh, you couldn't have had it better than Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and on and on, um, a first-round running back in a league that doesn't draft running backs anymore. He had everything perfect, and yet he showed at times um, this year that he could be an NFL quarterback. And I, I think that – you kind of have to try to parse it out and look for how they got to those yards. Um, You know, Joe Burrow, 
I think did have a lot of easy yards, but I also think he had a lot of hard yards too. He had oh, yeah. downfield that were brilliant. He had mobility that was really impressive and athleticism and a, a pocket presence and escapability. Now I know he got sacked a bunch of times this year mm-hmm. and, and they'll build up that offensive line, but um, there were some, some elements of his game like that, a toughness element to his game as well that you saw at LSU. And in a way, I kind of like to watch just the biggest games against the toughest opponents and see how it goes for some of these yeah. quarterbacks who are coming out. And I don't know yet. I'm not entirely um, decided on Justin Herbert or Tua yet. We'll see. Um, because I think Herbert still has some of his issues that he had in college. But I, I think it's one of the hardest things to deal with now when a guy throws 45 or 50 touchdowns and you go, was that? And it's not for like who cares state. It's for one of the top programs. It's an SEC team. You're like, well, he's playing SEC competition. But still, Alabama right now with Mac Jones has unbelievable wide receivers. I mean, guys who are open all the time and in the NFL. That's one of the biggest issues is that you have to throw tight window throws and you can't just throw to wide open people all the time. And I'm not sure I have a good answer. I think what you look for is skill set and then intangibles and then pray <laughs> when it comes to these quarterbacks. Yeah. Because, I mean, if I told you right now that Kyle Trask turned out to be an amazing quarterback and a franchise quarterback, you wouldn't tell me I'm insane. But if I told you that he turned out to be a bust and didn't work out, you, you wouldn't be shocked either. I mean, because a lot of these guys rest in the range behind Trevor Lawrence where you just don't really know, and it could kind of go either way. And when they're picked, it's justifiable. People are obviously killing Washington for picking him because it's gone so horribly and they got to wear that L. But I think it's the right move. I mean, you take a shot on a guy who had great college statistics and looks like he had a good enough arm and you go, first round quarterback, let's hope it works. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and and I don't think anyone is saying that the Washington football team made a bad decision today or yesterday by releasing him, uh, that you could say, oh, they're cutting the cord too early. But I think with how many quarterbacks are entering the NFL with gaudy statistics and they're, you know, at these elite 11 camps and they're doing seven on seven when they're in ninth grade, that there's just a steady crop of quality quarterbacks that are coming into the NFL Every year, and I think that's more to the point where you don't need to pay your Baker Mayfields or your Kirk Cousins thirty-five million dollars and kind of strap your team from a cap perspective to think that there's there's no good quarterbacks entering the league is just wrong. Um, but yeah, that's why you have to scout skill set. And when you said that, it, it instantly reminded me of what I continually wrote in the last pre-draft process, like just a few months ago, about Tua Tagovailoa. Even before uh, his injury, that I watched his final season at Alabama and doing quarterback watch every week or just writing him up like in in February or March, um, notwithstanding the injury, just saying, you know, if he's fully healed, it was hard to almost scout his skill set last year even because it was wide open throw to either Henry Ruggs or Jerry Judy a bubble screen or a slant on an RPO that Henry Ruggs was maybe taking 75 yards for a touchdown that like he was almost like an incomplete. Like I, I, I didn't see a lot of tight window throws, but he just didn't have to make them. I wasn't necessarily docking him for not having those on film. He just didn't, they just weren't there in that offense. But, and I think we've seen this early on and yes, the sample size is very small. And I do think Tua can be a very good quarterback in the NFL, 
he's having to make a little bit more uh, or tight window throws with higher frequency with the Dolphins, even with Devontae Parker, Jakeen Grant. You're never again going to have that much of an advantage at the wide receiver spot or even up front on the offensive line. I mean, uh, Jedrick Wills goes in the first round. Alex Leatherwood, the left tackle, is probably going to be a first rounder. Landon Dickerson, the interior blocker, is going to go in the first couple rounds. Um, that it, it's hard for some of these quarterbacks to say, yeah, I, I never really saw any of the difficult stuff from them on film. And, and watching Mac Jones this year, watching Kyle uh, Trask for Florida, there's not a lot of like super difficult throws. And I have seen, and, and we brought this up on the last podcast, sometimes against Georgia, um, in some tougher games, even Ole Miss earlier in the year for Alabama and Mac Jones, uh, sometimes where they've made bad decisions and they've been in tighter games where they haven't looked, you know, like that's the easiest game in the world for them. Th- those are why I have some red flags for those quarterbacks. Um, and conversely, and we don't have to go on a you know any uh, Trevor Lawrence rant here, but really Clemson's offense at this point, I mean, there's no T. Higgins, there's no Justin Ross. Like he's thrown to a bunch of guys that'll probably get looks in the NFL because they were four and five star recruits. But there's not this alpha wide receiver. Yes, they have Travis Etienne, but a lot of what Trevor Lawrence is doing, what Andrew Luck did. Um, certainly Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, a lot of the better young quarterbacks, like they were already elevating their team before they got to the NFL and and they had to deal with that adversity. Um, And you could watch their film and say, hey, Patrick Mahomes does this really well and this not so good. But with Baker, with Kyler, um, with Tua, it's been really difficult and with these two quarterbacks in the 2021 class to even find them even trying to execute what's difficult and what they'll have to do at the NFL level, which is all why it's so hard, especially today, like you said, to get these quarterback evaluations right. Yeah, I think that if you're trying to parse through it, there's a few things that you can look for. I mean, Dwayne Haskins was famous for the underneath drag throw that travels oh, yeah. five yards through the air and the guy runs 45 yards. You're like, look at his yards per attempt. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but, you know, compare him to Justin Fields, for example. I've had people ask me on Twitter, like, hey, is it, you know, a concern with Ohio State? Like, should people be worried about Justin Fields? And my answer is uh, not because of Dwayne Haskins. Um, maybe no. because when Justin Fields got punched in the face a couple times, I didn't really love how he responded. Um, but the other part of it is – Though with arm talent and playmaking, Justin Fields to me is on a different level entirely from Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins needed everything to go right. He needed to set his feet. He needed to be able to drive into his throws. Um, And then, you know, he had a lot of help. And I think it says something about how the coaches felt about his arm, that they were running those drag routes all the time. And then every so often, let's get him an open throw down the field. Where with Justin Fields, it's pushing it and pushing it and pushing it down the field. And then the other thing is just playmaking pocket presence I mean those those are always going to be a thing like in the NFL you have two and a half seconds and then there's Aaron Donald in your face and that's it like every team has one of those guys except the Detroit Lions everybody else has those guys who are in your face all the time the whole game somebody's a game wrecker on the other side so what you see and this was my concern about Tua as well hold the ball hold the ball hold the ball, dude is wide open. Okay, now I'll float it on to him wide open. That just is, and that was Baker too in a lot of ways. And I remember Baker getting whipped in a game against Georgia. Roquan Smith had a breakout game. Rose Bowl. 
Yeah, yeah. And and I thought the same thing. Like, can't hold the ball against Georgia the, the way that, you know, you normally would as Oklahoma. And you see, you know, offensive line, you in Oklahoma, these guys standing back there for a long time. And, you know, what's your playmaking ability when that isn't there? And what's your ability to push it down the field into tighter windows or throw anticipation throws, not throws where guys are wide open, but throws before guys come out of their breaks and things like that. It's, I think it's really uh, nuanced when it comes to separating them, and it's not easy, and we could still all get it wrong. Even if, even if the guy that we all loved had all those things I just talked about, we could still get it wrong. Yeah, and definitely there have been a myriad of quarterbacks that didn't have a lot of talent around them and were like a 500 quarterback in college that got picked early and were still bad. So, like, you can't just right, right. look for the guy. You can't just look for the next Patrick Mahomes and say, oh, yeah, let's find a – five and seven Texas tech team and just pick him because he had a lot of adversity in college. But I do think there is, should be firmly a red flag planted for the ultra productive quarterbacks from a blue blood program, like a Florida, like a Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, especially Oklahoma. I mean, no one's really paying playing defense in the sec, but in the big 12, no one's played defense like my entire life. <laughs> and I remember that Rose Bowl game vividly. And I was doing quarterback watch for CBS then, like just writing, like watching all the top quarterbacks in that famous draft class and writing up uh, just what I thought about each one of their games. And that was really the game. Like there was starting to be some momentum at that point, like early January that Baker Mayfield, he could maybe go in the second round. Maybe he'll sneak into the first And I watched that game where the talent levels on both sides of the field were were pretty similar. It was a close game, overtime game. Uh, That that game was like, that was it for me. And and I'm not someone that that likes to make a concrete decision based on one quarter, one throw, one game, Odell Beckham's catch or Jadavian Clowney, the hit against Michigan. But that game just, I had some concerns about if things weren't perfect around Baker and if he wasn't playing against, uh, Texas Tech's defense, and that game, like you mentioned, Roquan Smith, there were a lot of future NFL players on that defense, and he just looked flustered. And one last thing about all these quarterbacks, and this kind of falls under the umbrella for Dwayne Haskins, and why really Justin Fields is a much better prospect. If you listen to the PFF NFL podcast with Steve uh, Palazzolo and Sam Monson, your two buddies, they have this thing where they say that quarterbacks have the Christian Ponder syndrome where they are, are somewhat athletic in college and they think they can run in college and they kind of – maybe the commentators in their game say, oh, man, Christian Ponder, he's, he's a deceptive athlete. He's going to be a good runner in the <laughs> NFL. Baker Mayfield had that, and yeah. I don't really think Dwayne Haskins had it because people kind of saw that he was kind of heavy-footed, wasn't a supreme athlete. But, like, Baker Mayfield, oh, he's improvisational too. Baker Mayfield was never going to be running away from Aaron Donalds or linebackers or safeties in the NFL. I think Justin Fields can be that type of player, that he can pick up yards, uh, a third and six, he can run for 10 or 15 yards. You could maybe even use him in the designed run game. But just because a quarterback at the college level has six or seven touchdowns and has a, a few creative scrambles, that's where you really have to scout the skill set. And you could tell that Baker Mayfield was not going to be able to do that once he got to the NFL level. You could tell that Johnny Manziel wasn't going to be able to do that. I think Manziel was even a better athlete than Baker Mayfield, but he wasn't having 60-yard touchdown runs once he got to the Browns. That was (laughs) obvious. So I think you need to scout that element too. Like, are they in a system that's so spread out that on 
and sending out five receivers that on third and 10, can they just, oh, no one's open, I'll just run for 15 yards and look at their rushing stats or say, hey, look, yeah, he looks pretty fast. Well, wait until they get to the NFL when all linebackers are running 4-4 and 4-5, which like we talked about last episode, that's an important element uh, of being a, a really good quarterback prospect and just being successful in the NFL is how athletic you are. That really, if you look back at that, 2018 draft class like the good athletes Josh Allen Lamar Jackson like they took off and the guys that weren't as athletic you kind of go down Josh Rosen being the least athletic those are the ones that have been good but have kind of struggled because they have problems creating off structure um so yeah I I think I guess I'm just kind of going off here on this but Justin Fields you can't put him into the same umbrella as Dwayne Haskins stylistically but I am a little bit concerned that he's throwing to a lot of five-star players against lesser competition in the Big Ten. I have seen more vertical throws, more tight window passes, better decisions. I mean, it's not all just a drag route and then a 75-yard touchdown. But in the Indiana game, in the Northwestern game, in the Big uh, Ten title game, where whether it be the players or the scheme on defense kind of gave him some problems. He took a lot of sacks, took a lot of hits. That's a little bit why I'm more concerned about Justin Fields. I, I, it's nothing about scouting the helmet because I do think he's a much better prospect than Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, the uh, scouting the helmet thing always drives me crazy. Uh, yeah, hey, all those Kale quarterbacks uh, before Aaron Rodgers, right? You know, so um, let me just uh, give you the extra point before we wrap up here. I was wondering, Chris, what you think about the um, when it comes to positional value as we start to dive into this next draft class running back is clearly last everybody knows that aside from long snapper or punter it's running back yeah even when they're great you don't draft them at the very top or you're probably making a mistake what is next for you what is next in the don't draft unless it's really really good and even then think twice about drafting Linebacker. I think in the first round, and it's sad for me because when I first got into scouting, I used to love watching linebackers because they were like so involved in so many plays. Um, So we're talking like 2013, 2014 teams, even in college, were still running the football more often. You could, it was to me, and maybe it was, it was just me individually. It was easy to scout them because you could see if they could take on blocks and shed them. You could see their speed. Are they, beating those running backs to the corner or are they not? Um, are they making plays on the football and coverage? Can they run with the tight end down the seam? Can they stay with the running back on an intricate route out of the backfield? But I think the NFL is set up today, and I do want to hear your thoughts on this too, Matt, uh, just with how spread out it is, how talented slot receivers are, how athletic uh, and just gifted pass catchers a lot of tight ends are, uh, that – it's been the case for a while that coverage is the most important element of playing linebacker. These guys, even though they're smaller and quicker than they were even five years ago, uh, it's just so difficult to be just a really impactful game changing linebacker. I think your defense, if you have a Luke Keekley, if you have a Bobby Wagner, um, that that is an ultimate luxury because they are three down players are playing like a hundred percent of your snaps. If they're a starter, And if they can cover and if they can be good against the run, uh, that just boosts your entire defense. But the game now is just not set up for them to be uh, instant impact type of guys. And just really quickly running through the list, the last couple of draft classes, the 2020 class, yes, the rookies looks pretty bad. Isaiah Simmons was this transcendent guy. He's not had a good rookie season. 
in Arizona. The other first-rounders, and two of these guys I do not know why they went in the first round, Jordan Brooks from Seahawks, bad rookie season. Patrick Queen uh, has made a couple plays in coverage but has not been good against the run, missed a lot of tackles for Baltimore. Kenneth Murray, okay, but not changing that Chargers defense whatsoever. Those are first-round picks um, that have, have not been good at the linebacker spot. Devin White and Devin Bush the year before, solid players, um, but nothing spectacular in coverage. I think both teams' defenses wouldn't be as good without them, but they haven't made those defenses. The year before that, Roquan Smith, he's probably been the best of the younger uh, linebackers that have gone in the first round. But we kind of saw that in college at Georgia. He was making plays on the football and coverage often. He was almost like a shorter safety playing for the Bulldogs. After that, I mean, Tremaine Edmonds in Buffalo, Matt Milano is a better linebacker than him. I mean, he, he's the six foot five soccer net in the middle of the field, but he misses a lot of tackles, is a tick late, understanding where he needs to go with the football. Leighton Vander Ash had a good rookie season, hasn't really been the same since that neck injury. Then you go further back, Hassan Reddick for the Cardinals, kind of this edge linebacker hybrid, setting a career high in sacks this year, but the first three or four years in his career have not been very good. 2016, Darren Lee, huge bust. Shaq Thompson the year before that with the Panthers. He's okay, but he's been a middle-of-the-road linebacker. Stephon Anthony um, was drafted by the Saints. He's already out of the league. He was picked in 2015 in the first round, uh, already not in the NFL anymore. I think you really have to go back to your boys in 2014. Anthony Barr probably is the last guy that I think was, like, bordering on being a superstar, was – really a, a game-changing linebacker that could do it all in that 2014 draft class. Ryan Shazier was there until his injury and CJ Mosley. So we're talking five or six years now, all these first-round linebackers. There was uh, Jared Davis of the Detroit Lions, too, who's been a huge bust at the linebacker spot. It's been a while since we've had a truly impactful, like Luke Keekley type of linebacker. And if we're talking about Luke Keekley, that's the 2012 draft. So I, I don't know if I would be – thrilled about picking a Micah Parsons or a Jeremiah Awusu-Karamoa from Notre Dame or even Nick Bolton from Missouri, especially early in the first round. I don't think the game is set up for them uh, with how pass-happy it is to be able to withstand how much coverage responsibility that they need to take. And then if they are six foot and 220 pounds, can they still hold up against the run? Because you kind of need that too. Like we said before, teams are still running the ball at least 40% of the time. Uh, so that's the one position that I think is very rapidly. It's important if you have a great one, but very rapidly has become not valuable in terms of using an early selection on that spot on the field. I completely agree. And I think a lot of times they look for physical freaks and that doesn't do you a whole lot. I mean, really, no. the, the best skill I think you can have as a linebacker today is just intelligence. It's vision. Can you understand where receivers are coming from, where routes are coming from, what's going on behind you. Um, this has really come into vision for me with another Vikings draft pick, Eric Hendricks, who is, to me, the premier, him and Fred Warner, the premier. He's really good. Yeah, coverage linebacker in the NFL. And the biggest thing with a lot of these guys is eyes in the back of their head. They study, they are highly intelligent, they know exactly where play-action routes are coming from, they identify things, and then they have the toughness element, the leadership element, and all that. But it ends up being things that aren't necessarily physical from that position. So when you draft these linebackers, you always hear, oh my gosh, Isaiah Simmons, the biggest freak, Patrick Queen, look at his 40, look at this and that. 
Like, okay, I mean, that's fa- that's fine, but if he is sucked up by a play action and he doesn't robot around fast enough, he doesn't find where he's supposed to go, he doesn't find the routes that are coming behind him, or he misses his assignment, or he misses a tackle because he doesn't take the proper angle. Like, all those things are technical. I think it's a very, very technical position. So physical freaks don't always work out as in, you know, like defensive ends where you could say physical freaks, man, like you you might be able to get there just based on what you could do physically. So if I'm drafting one of those linebackers, I want to make him an outside linebacker that's rushing quarterback a lot, like you mentioned with Reddick. And if that's not the case, then, you know, I think hesitating. Now, if you find that physical freak who has the intelligence as well, that's when you get a multi-time pro bowler who changes your franchise. But as you mentioned, there's only like five of those guys in the entire league. The other position I'll add before we wrap up is center. I think that if uh, you are drafting someone who played center in college, buyer beware um, because of the physical requirements. And if you're expecting that guy to be good anytime soon, now it has happened, Travis Frederick, Alex Mack, guys like that. But if you're expecting to be good anytime soon, I kind of wish you the best of luck because that is such a complicated position. You are overmatched physically every single time you step on the field. Teams run stunts and twists and blitzes, and, and the interior pressure is everything. And if you get left out on an island as a, as a young center or if you're not physically there enough, you're going to end up getting pushed back in your quarterback all the time. I think it's a better position to look for tackles or guards who could move to center uh, from college who are physically more adept or just sign somebody. Hey, there's your 30 year old dude. Who's done this before. Like, why don't you just bring him in if you need a center rather than, than, than drafting one early. I mean, I think that the NFL has generally been there, but every once in a while we see like, no, this center is different. You got to get this one. Cause he's different. And it's sort of the same thing ends up happening. It's not a never draft one, but you want to be careful with that position, I think. Yeah, and I think all of our listeners need to realize that Matt's been covering the Vikings and Garrett <laughs> I Bradbury. You, I knew you were like, going to say that. He, he knows, I was going to say, he <laughs> knows the perils of drafting a first-round center and, and how it can hurt an offense and how long the road is for that center to become a good player because Garrett Bradbury had all the athleticism in the world. He had a fantastic combine. Uh, and, and everyone said, oh, just gain 10 pounds and then you're fine. You know, he's only 295 or something like that. Or maybe he actually was like just at 300 pounds at that combine, but he's been pretty bad. And I, I think beyond everything that you said about being physically overmatched, uh, calling out protections and, and understanding leverage on combo blocks, and there's so much that goes into it. It's almost similar to the linebacker spot that there's so many duties that have to be carried out that are mental. And then you add in, oh, you also have to be, if you're a linebacker, defeating the pulling guard to get to the ball carry. And if you're a center, you need to combo on Fletcher Cox and then get up to the linebacker at the second level to spring that long run, or you need to deal with that Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers twist. And that's just not a very easy thing to do physically. So I think, yeah, linebacker and center are two positions that really were – there's not really a center prospect in this draft class, but we're going to hear about uh, certainly Micah Parsons, someone that I think is a great prospect, but his couple of years at, at Penn State, a lot of great plays against the run, a lot of good blitzes, a lot of sacks in coverage, and that's why I wasn't really high on Kenneth Murray, and I thought Jordan Brooks, the same thing. Uh, the Seahawks picked him in the first round at Texas Tech. 
a lot of these highlight plays behind the line of scrimmage in like a nine-man box, uh, not a lot of plays in coverage. And, and I think we've seen them struggle with, oh, wow, I have to like cover this tight end or I have to drop into zone. And then if this crosser comes in front of me, I know it's behind me. Like that stuff that Eric Kendricks does really well, I think you either have it when you come in or you don't. And if you don't, it takes time, two, three years to gain that cerebral side of playing that position. Same thing goes for the center spot. Yep. And All right, that'll do it for Matt. Oh, oh no, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say um, before, I, you really like took that big dramatic pause and then launched into it, and I screwed you up, so I'm sorry. All I was going to say okay. is if, if you're drafting for run, if your main thing is guy does this against the run, think it over again just because, you know, yep. you can replace those things, and the value is not what you want. Yeah, I remember just one quick thing. All these things pop into my head during these uh, conversations. That Steve Palazzolo, again, from PFF, wrote an article in, like, last draft class, like, trying to really hammer home that point that for defensive linemen, like, don't pick a run stuffer, like, until, like, the fourth or the fifth round. Like, day three, you can find good run stuffers in every single class. I think that's the same case for a great run-blocking center. I think that's the same case for a great uh, run-stopping linebacker. Like, anything pertaining to the run should be – used later in the draft, like third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. That's if you need a great running back, if you need anything pertaining to the run, that needs to be something that is not a top priority, regardless if you want to be the Browns and, and have the 28th most pass attempts, the Vikings and the Titans, eventually your pass game has to be what's helping you and you need to stop the pass. It's all about passing efficiently and efficiently stopping the pass in today's NFL. Okay, now we're really headed out. Uh, for Matthew Collar, I'm Chris Trapasso. Remember, tune in every day to Matt's Minnesota Vikings podcast, Purple Insiders. Rate, subscribe, review. What else can you do? I, th- I think that's it in terms of uh, you can interactions you can have with the comment, review. Yeah, same thing. Okay, review. Uh, do, that, do that here for the Prospect Podcast. We'll have another episode out on Thursday. And I don't think I've said this yet. We're going to kind of go with the schedule every Tuesday and Thursday to kind of recap what we saw over the weekend from college football, once we get into the draft, any news that's happening in the NFL, and then Thursday to kind of just move forward into the next week. So thank you very much for listening.